Does anybody want to buy my shirt? I'll trade you my shirt for a grilled cheese. Good morning and welcome to episode 239 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. We'd like you to send emails to us for our email show tomorrow at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Uh, ben, how are you doing? I'm healthy. Healthier than you. Sounds uh-huh. like. Yep. Same old, same old. Sometimes my daughter gets sick, and after about the third day, you see that she just sort of like accepts that this is what life is going to be forever. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and uh, I've gotten to that, that point. Mm-hmm. It's been, I think, uh, 11 days. So. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I feel fine. I just have a, just a general air of disgustingness about me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, before we start, can I ask you something? Okay. Uh, Carlos Gomez just stole a, a home run on the final play of the game to save a victory, and Joey Votto, the batter who hit it, was sort of uh, animatedly motioning out to, to to tell the umpires, make sure he has the ball in his glove. Mm-hmm. And I am in, even though Carlos Gomez did not attempt to pretend to have the ball, just the idea that like for a split second, somebody convinced me that he might have has given me a great deal of admiration for Gomez. Whoever the player is that ultimately tries this uh, will will be my favorite player forever because that he would just, just, be a... just having a ball with him and pretending. No, to... no, no ball, no ball, no ball. Just, just. Oh, I see. Okay. Holds the glove up. Uh huh. Runs in, disappears <laughs> into the crowd. Uh, you know. Usually, you have to. I don't know. Maybe you don't. I don't know. People usually show it. They flourish the ball. They normally do. But, uh, I mean, clearly Votto was concerned that Gomez was going to get away with this ploy. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you, I mean, you know, people do crazy things if they act confident enough. You know, I mean, there's that, there's this British guy who does these things on TV. And every, I don't know, 16 months or so. I get completely drawn into watching all of his YouTube videos. <laughs> um, and, like, it's incredible what you do if you just are confident enough. So I imagine that, you know, a player could, could you know, at, at least conceivably try. I mean, there's a lot of sort of people out there who think they can just do anything. So, so maybe someone will do it. I think it would be fun. But anyway, my question to you is let's say Gomez did this. Let's say he didn't catch the ball and he got – he jogged all the way in. Everybody was celebrating, cheering, etc. Uh, and the umpire came over and said, "Let me see your glove." Mm-hmm. And he didn't. He didn't have the ball. Um, <clears throat> what do you think the public reaction would be? Like, would he be? Would this be like that time A Rod that one time when he like <laughs> slapped Bronson Arroyo's glove uh-huh. out of instinct? Or, or would it that... be like the time that he shouted "Ha," which both of right. us both of us or, approved of or, that? Yeah, or would it be more like the time that, like, you know, Ryan Braun did all these steroids and nobody really cared except for <laughs> a few journalists? Uh-huh. Like, would we basically just, like, would, do you think that we would admire his brashness? Or would he be a laughing stock? And uh... I guess a follow-up question would be if he got away with it, mm-hmm. would it change things? Would, would that make him totally in the clear? Or would it be, in a way, would it maybe even be worse? I would admire it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess people would be split, probably. You'd have the, the people who think that he's doing something unsportsmanlike, and then you have the people who think that anything goes and that 
it's fair game if you can catch the other guy. Would it be, would it be that? Well, yeah, I, I, I would, I would like to see it. I wonder whether that, whether that would be against an unwritten rule, whether the players would mind, uh, or whether fans would mind it more. Well, I mean, certainly guys have gone into the stands on like a foul ball. Yes. And, you know, reposition the ball in their glove mm-hmm. after they landed. And we don't remember those guys. I mean, we don't think of those, that as being a, a big crime. But this is a whole other level. I mean, this, is a, this would be a, a big level, right? Yeah, so, it would. Um, I guess, I mean, although really, does, does, does cheating to, to get a 1% better edge, you know, matter less or more than cheating to get like a you know 100% better edge mm-hmm. in that game I mean that's the, that's the ball game they mm-hmm. lose otherwise so I don't know if that makes it more serious or more like admirable that mm-hmm. he would do it like mm-hmm. maybe it's actually worse to cheat on small stuff because like why bother right I don't think a rod I, I always thought that the glove slap thing was such a weird thing to hold against a rod I mean of all the reasons people hate him that's so small. That just looked like, you know, he was running and whatever. It's not like he, it's not like it was anything covert about it. He was, you know, he gave it a shot. What? Like, who cares? Yeah. That was such a, like not A-Rod's worst crime. I mean, that's nothing. I think if any other player had done that, you wouldn't have noticed at all. The ha Everything is an established. Is... The ha is Bush League, right? The ha is even Bush League in, like, slow-pitch softball. But the glove slap the thing, slap he's is... just running. Well, it was pretty pretty blatant, wasn't it? I haven't watched but it in a while. But it's blatant, so he's going to get called out. I mean, if it's against the rules to do that, like that's not an unwritten rule. That's a if that's a written rule, then mm-hmm. clearly, like an umpire will see it and call him out. Mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't watched it in a while either. But in my mind, it was like he had a lot of momentum going. You know, it was a spur of the moment thing. I don't even think that. I don't even really think that he was like planning. Like I don't even. I don't know how much of his thought process was like knock the ball out. I remember it, more like... it as more of an intentional sort of blatant thing, mm-hmm. uh, but but his his motivations were good, I guess. He wanted to win, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, I I mean, I think there's a long tradition of of players trying to get away with whatever they can get away with. Uh, so I, I wouldn't mind if, if Gomez did that, even if it worked, I would be, I'd be curious to see whether, I guess what the player reaction would be, whether there'd be any sort of reprisal or whether the players would be kind of okay with it. Um, I mean, people certainly try to pretend that they caught a ball that they actually trapped. Yeah. That that happens all the time and no one really gets too upset about that. Yeah. I guess I, I honestly can't even imagine it. Like I remember when I was in high school, I would sometimes wonder, like like I'd be bored in class, and I'd I'd just sort of like wonder, like if that kid over there lit a cigarette right now, like what would the teacher do? I mean, clearly the teacher would have to do something. It's not you're not allowed to do that in class, but it would be so shocking. And I always wondered, like what would he do? Mm-hmm. And I guess I sort of feel the same way. Like the amount of the amount of confidence it would take to try to pull off faking. Like that you have the ball, the entire like like that you're gonna run in. It's so brilliant too because you're running directly toward the umpires. So you're like, look how confident I am. I'm running right at you. <laughs> Obviously, I have the ball. Would I be doing this if I didn't have the ball? <laughs> uh-huh. Like I'd be running in the opposite direction. I'd be like, see you guys. 
but no, I mean, you're running right at him, big smile on your face. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I don't know if it would work on a game-deciding play. I feel like if the game were hinging on on whether the ball was in the glove or not, the umpire you would think the umpires probably are ask make to sure? see it. I would think uh-huh. so. Maybe it would be better to try it with a, I don't know, with a like a three-run lead or something. Just sort of still some sort of leverage to the situation, but not necessarily uh, going to decide the game. Do you, let me ask you this. Carlos Gomez is, uh, he's leading the league in at least one war category. I don't know if he's leading the league in ours or in all of them, mm-hmm. but at least one. And he's doing it on a last place team. Uh, traditionally, this would be a case where stat heads and, and journalists would argue because the journalists would say, oh, how valuable could he be? His team won 37 games. Uh, but I don't know that I get the feeling that like Gomez has a ton of support mm-hmm. for him. Like, like I just feel like maybe to some degree, everybody's just going to agree that he's going to be like a nine win player and nobody's going to support his candidacy. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I haven't heard too much discussion about it either way. Is it, is he's it, a tw- he's a plus 20 defender yeah, well, that's, on, on, that's the th- on baseball reference yeah. already. And I don't know that anybody's going to stand up and defend that. No, like, I don't think so. I mean, if he ends up at this pace, I mean, he's plus 20. He'll be plus 22 after after tonight. So he'll be on pace to be like a plus 35 or so. There's been like three or four of those in history. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, everybody is so kind of cautious about big numbers on defense that I'm not sure anybody's going to stand up and defend it. Yeah. So um. so he might he might end up being like a... He might end up having as much... Uh, you know, as as much as many war as Mike Trout last year, and nobody's going to really make his case. Uh, yeah, I haven't thought about that much. I guess I mean it's it's right to be skeptical about that sort of thing. I think. Uh huh. It's incredible how similar his season is to Trout's. Now that I'm looking at it. Yeah, looks pretty close. Uh huh. Okay, should we That's talk my about topic. what we? <laughs> that That's was your topic. topic. That's my topic. It's over. It's over. Uh, my topic, What's your topic? My topic was the Cubs and trading recently signed free agents. Uh, good, yeah. Okay, good. should I start like, talking about it? Sure. Uh, okay, so the Cubs have been very active on the trade market. Um, they've they've made something like four trades already. Of course, they uh, they traded Scott Feldman. They traded Scott Hairston. And these were free agents that they signed just over the winter and played for them for a few months. And now they are on their way to another team. And this is something that that they've done before. They did this last year with Paul Mahalam and Reed Johnson, I think. Both went in the same trade uh, to the Braves. So um, this isn't obviously a completely novel thing for, for a team that's not really a contender to sign some free agents and then trade them for prospects. We've seen Billy Bean do this sort of thing. I'm sure people have always done this sort of thing. Um, But I wonder whether it's a better way to rebuild now or or it makes more sense for a rebuilding team to do this than it would have under a previous CBA. Um, Whether this is a more efficient way to restock your system and and acquire a bunch of just minor league depth and some promising players if you can't go out and spend a lot in the draft and there's a limit on how much you can spend internationally 
And of course, the Cubs have been trading for international money, too. Uh, but I wonder whether there's something to this, whether it's it's a better route now uh, for for a team like the Cubs to do this kind of thing than maybe it, it would have been once. There's also, I, I guess, there's also the idea that the free agent market is is less rich than it once was, which we've talked about. So there are fewer good free agents available. So I wonder... Whether that means that if you just if you kind of stock up on some of them, I mean, it's it's like you know Feldman. Any other team could have had Feldman a few months ago, but now he had some value. It it's kind of a weak market for starting pitching. The Cubs had him. He had a good first half. Hairston didn't really, or he kind of had an okay uh, first few months with the Cubs, but. Um, and he was someone that some other teams were interested in over the offseason. But but you get a few months into the season and suddenly all the contenders want this person that maybe they wouldn't have wanted before. And I wonder whether we'll, we'll start seeing this more. But we've also seen another team like the Astros didn't really sign any free agents. They signed, you know, Carlos Peña or, or Ankiel or people with, with pretty much no trade value. So they didn't take this this route. They kind of they I mean they traded people that they already had to stock up, um, but maybe if you if you don't have those tradable commodities, then this makes more sense. Can you? Um, I'm sorry. Can you explain the mechanism for why this would be more a better strategy now than it used to be? I'm not sure what has what you're saying has changed. Yeah. Well, I'm not I'm not sure that it makes sense. I'm trying to think it through. Um, if you're a team like the Cubs and you can't just go out and restock your system in the draft so much because there's a limit on how much you can spend and there's a limit on how much you can spend internationally so you can't do really a quick rebuild by just pouring money into those areas uh then i wonder whether i mean kind of the only route to just acquire prospects is to trade people to other teams, right? I mean, it seems like there, there are just fewer ways to get that talent into your system. Um, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that this, this holds up. I'm trying to think through the, the implications of it. There's also... <clears throat> I wonder, I mean, one thing that is possible, I, I, I don't actually know when the... Well, I don't know if this is true or not, but... There's a there's basically a very limited window of time that you have to trade for international bonus slot mm-hmm. room, and uh, a, a very n- narrow window between when you're allowed to and when you actually need it, and so you really have to have stuff to trade in this you know few week period, and it I don't know this I mean I'm just spitballing, um, but it might be more attractive to sign these sorts of guys now. Uh, because you, you know, you know, you're going to be able to build your, your, uh, you know, slot space, um, at this time of year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, we, like, like we talked about, we don't really know the value of those slots and mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if those were the primary purposes of any of these trades or even if they were, you know, more than just afterthoughts of any of these trades. Um, but that's something that has changed at least. One of the things that's odd is that, Feldman was not signed. I mean, Harrison was signed in February. So you could definitely see the Cubs going, well, this guy's, you know, he's cheap. His 
cost has gone down. Uh, you know, someone will probably want him in July if he does anything. I mean, he didn't do anything. He hasn't done squat this year. He's got a 232 on race percentage. He's hit some homers. <laughs> He's hit some. All of them but at home. Two. Two is some, man. He's hit he's hit a, a few more than two, and not that many more than two. And he's got at two thirty two on base percentage. So he has not done much. He is he is like the equivalent of like when Jeff Francoeur got traded a couple of seasons ago to Texas. You know, he's just like yeah, he whatever. Certainly hasn't made himself more more valuable than he was right. over the winter. Right, right. And so what were we talking about? Oh yeah. So the idea that I mean, to a contending team. It's always going to be the case that to a contending team, the value of you know what a player can do in October is is going to be a huge portion of of what they're going to give you in the contract. And so if they don't have to invest anything up front until they're pretty sure that there's going to be an October, like that's a super cool deal for any contender. And so you you pretty much know that you're going to find some buyers for your guys in in July if they're doing anything. Um, so you could see like a, like a team going around picking up all these February guys who haven't found much interest, but you know, who are name brand enough Mm -hmm. that if they, you know, if they just basically stay alive, then they'll be worth something. But Feldman was signed in November, which is really early. He Mm -hmm. was one of the first free agents to sign. And you wonder like, what do you think that the Cubs, like if you told me that the Cubs knew all along that they were probably going to sign Hairston, that it was like, oh, well maybe we'll take a. You know, we'll take a long shot on contending this season, but you know, if nothing else, we'll trade him in July. I wouldn't be surprised, but it's hard to imagine that they were signing free agents in November uh, because you know Feldman. I don't know. You'd think that if Feldman thought that he was getting a below market rate deal at that point, that he would have held on. So, you know, they probably weren't getting him for a real discount. It seems odd to tra- that, that that they would sort of that that we would lump a guy who is signed in February and a guy who was signed in November into this trend. Uh-huh. Um, well, there was there were some quotes from, I think it was uh, Kerry Muscat from MLB.com spoke to Jed Hoyer and he said that, that I guess they had an edge for signing Feldman because a lot of other teams weren't willing to give him a rotation spot or at least to guarantee uh-huh. him a rotation spot. So the Cubs, uh, which you know, who had a poor pitching staff last year and just kind of had all sorts of openings in that rotation, could say we will let you start, and that made them more attractive to him. Um, I, I guess yeah. it, it maybe. And so it's... they invest three months. They basically invest three months of their rotation, uh, one spot in their rotation, yeah. knowing that if it works out, they've not only got a guy who they can trade, but who they've. You know, kind of really boosted his value. It's almost like the opposite of what, you know, like how Billy Bean would just name a guy as closer mm-hmm. four months later when he was a proven closer, then he could trade the saves away. Mm-hmm. So this is like the the opposite. They're tr- they're they're creating a proven starter out of scratch. Yeah. So so it's an advantage then maybe to if you're a team with a lot of holes and a lot of openings. It's I, I think. Uh, she asked whether it would uh, make it more difficult to sign free agents in the future that they've that they've traded all of these guys as if a free agent wouldn't want to go to a team that he thinks will just turn around and trade him and make him move and go to a new city a few months later. Um, and he said something like, well, we hope that we'll be contenders soon and we won't have to keep doing this. But uh, but he seems to think that the the. I guess the incentive of 
being able to give a player a lot of playing time to prove himself or reestablish his value coming off a down year just because the team isn't expected to be competitive right away or, or doesn't have a lot of depth um, kind of outweighs that consideration that, and that you could always attract someone like that coming off a, a down year, give him a lot of playing time, let him reestablish his value, and then when his value is higher, which is the case for, for Feldman at least, then you trade him and you get some prospects back. Well, yeah, and I would suspect that for Feldman this is great news because he, you know, you don't know in Fe- in November who's going to be a contender. You want to be on a team that plays in October for the most part, and you don't know what team that's going to be. And if especially if you're Feldman, you might not really get to choose mm-hmm. the the way that like you know if you wanted to, Zach Granke got to choose right. Um, but so for Feldman, this works out great because he knows that he's going to get a chance to play every day for three months and he's going to get a chance to be uh in you know a postseason push if not postseason play uh for the last three months it's kind of awesome for him i mean it it's not like yeah he has to uproot again but he's been in chicago for all of three months it's Mm -hmm. not like you know his kids are yeah probably didn't buy a house probably not Mm -hmm. well he might have i mean the market he might be going up free big spender scott felton investments everywhere mm-hmm. uh so yeah that's that's pretty much all i wanted to say more of a thought experiment than anything uh-huh uh well i'm glad you did and it's it's a good conclusion because i think that everybody wondered about what the cubs were doing in the off season not only signing a bunch of players to play on their awful team right but yeah. signing a bunch of players at the one place that they were basically full like they had mm-hmm. more starting pitchers than any team in baseball except the dodgers and so it seemed sort of obvious that this was coming and yeah so even even back then it was like really are they doing this and now that they've done it we can talk about it it worked out well yeah well when hairston signed i think i did i think i did a transaction analysis thing on him over the winter and uh, I compared the amount that the Cubs had spent on free agents to the amount that the Astros had spent on free agents, which was basically nothing. Um, and two teams that were coming off lousy seasons and rebuilding and trying to get more respectable, but but sort of going about it in different ways, or at least you know one was one was signing all sorts of free agents, the other was was really signing no free agents. Uh, but both trying to stockpile as much talent as possible. So I guess now we, yeah, we've sort of seen how that's worked out for Chicago. Dynamite. Good show, Ben. Good show. I like this one. Not a lot of, not often that we get to talk about Scott Feldman, Scott Harrison, uh, and the MVP, the down ballot, I should say the down ballot MVP race that's four months away. Yes. It's fun stuff. What, who are the other? I sound sarcastic right now, but I'm actually <laughs> <You're> not. not. <laughs> I'm not being sarcastic. These were interesting topics to me. Oh, I'm glad. Um, yeah, still not being sarcastic. By the way, I continue <laughs> to sound sarcastic, and I'm not. Uh, okay. All right, then we're done. We already emails. We already told people about emails right at the top. Put, loaded it up front so that they'd hear. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's tomorrow then. So we'll be back with that. So long. <laughs>